1: You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM
0: 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is going to be my final time doing a show from this studio this week. This week. Tomorrow, live show at Jefferson's from 3 to 6 o'clock. Stop by, 25% of the proceeds go to the families for the rock chalk round ball classic might have some players out there some people you can meet we might have some stuff to give away and obviously you'll be able to just come say hi see the show get some good food i don't know thursday we're going to be out at free state high school and then at seven o'clock we'll air the rock chalk round ball classic right here on klwn friday going to be out at wayne and larry's for the rock chalk round Bowl classic so This is the last show in the comfy KLWN studios. With Richie Boswell, I'm Derek Johnson. Devontae Graham signed a new NBA contract. He has made a lot of money. Four years, $47 million for Devontae Graham to go to the New Orleans Pelicans in a sign-and-trade. Ben McElmore also signing with the Portland Trailblazers, so a couple of former Jayhawks getting it on in the NBA and both those guys I believe are actually supposed to be back here for the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic now I don't know maybe these contract situations change things for them maybe they need to be with the team or maybe um, that limits what they can or cannot do at the Round Ball Classic but I believe they're supposed to be here so that's kind of exciting and uh, maybe we'll get a chance to talk with one of them and bring that up their new contract. Maybe Devontae will be buying people Jeffersons or, or something tomorrow. Because you know he can afford it. <laughs> uh, yesterday continued on with the Texas Senate hearings. And today there was a report of the Big 12 and Pac-12. Having a meeting about something. Which some people kind of estimated possible merger. Now if we go back to yesterday. It Doesn't really appear that the Big 12 wants to expand. And in fact, Bob Bowlesby yesterday said there is no timetable for Big 12 expansion efforts at this point, which further kind of backs things up to me that the Big 12 is just going to stand pat until 2025. As I talked about yesterday, if you add more teams from the American Athletic Conference right now, ESPN is not going to renegotiate your deal and say, well, now you're worth so much more. Here's a bunch more money. For a couple of reasons. One, because ESPN might be mad at you for sending the cease and desist and publicizing all of that. But two, even when the Big 12 was talking about expansion back in 2016, ESPN told them, sorry, there ain't going to be more money on this contract, even if you add teams. So the Big 12 said, well, then there's no point of expanding because we're all going to take a smaller slice of the pie. And though that is true, maybe you could argue that expanding would fortify your conference and help in the long term at least in the near term, as Bullsby described it, it doesn't seem like much is going to happen right now. And part of that is just because you want those pieces of money and you want Texas and OU to have to stay in the conference as long as possible. He said that Texas and OU yesterday violated the Big 12 bylaws in regards to their discussions with the SEC. And the notable part there is a board meeting from the Big 12 can now sanction the two schools... And strip them of revenue distributions as soon as this year. Now, I feel like if that happened, there would be a lot of lawyers involved. And I'm not sure you want to get lawyers involved from the two richest schools in the conference. But it would also allow for the Big 12 to increase both Texas and Oklahoma's buyout. And force it to be paid immediately and basically say good riddance. So if that is the road they want to go down which again would involve lots of lawyers and attorneys and power and time and money being involved, Texas and OU would not only get any of the revenue distributions through 2025, they'd have to pay two years and any additional penalties for the buyout immediately. And that could be something that the Big 12 could say, hey, let's spite you and do this. But I don't know if that. They would do that just because, like I said, there are so many hurdles you'd have to go over. That's just a huge headache, both in terms of publicity, with attorneys, with lawyers. You don't necessarily know if you're going to win at the end of the day. I'm not really expecting that to happen. Now, what was reported today, Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bullsby scheduled to meet with Pac-12 Commissioner George Kleofkoff, which I believe that's how you pronounce it. Their meeting expected to be a key first step in talks about whether the two conferences would benefit from strategically working together during college sports during the new phase of alignment. And discussions on a pact between the two could go in several different directions. This is on the piece about this in The Athletic. One option would be scheduling an alliance between the Big 12 and Pac-12 members. So how that would work was something that I brought up yesterday. And that's another thing that Bullsby kind of hit on at the Texas Senate hearings, the idea of kind of working together with another conference in some way. And if you schedule games, it's essentially like you basically added another conference game in terms of like TV inventory. Like, what has more value to whoever would be bidding on on these? You know, because we see like the Big Twelve SEC showdown. We see Kansas play Kentucky and Tennessee, and all these games in late January. And they have the Big Twelve Big East one. They have the Big Ten ACC showdown. You know, ESPN bids on those, and I'm sure each conference gets a good amount of money and each school gets a good amount of money. You could do that with football as well and have the Big Twelve, Pac Twelve Showdown. Or whatever you want to call it. I think I saw Max Olson describe the alliance as like the the Biggie Pac Alliance, which was kind of funny. And you get Fox or ESPN or whoever to bid on that week that you're going to play all those games. I don't know when you'd play them. Do you play them first, second week of the season? Do you play it near the end of the season, in the middle, to kind of break things up like you do with the Big 12 SEC Challenge in basketball? Either way, you know that it's going to be worth something. Because... If you're playing, in Kansas's case, Coastal Carolina, and I get it, Coastal Carolina is a really good team, so maybe this is a bad example because they're going to be top 25 this year. That's not going to do as much for you, and I probably shouldn't have even taken Kansas because they're not even the team that would hold the water here. But if you're playing UCLA or USC, that's going to hold more value. You know, if Oklahoma State plays Oregon instead of playing Tulsa, the game has more value to television markets and it is like you basically have 10 conference games now all of a sudden it's just a different conference for that 10th game so that would add value to things and it's something interesting to talk about I believe the Pac-12 rights are up at the end of 2024 so maybe that's when you would see something happening big 12 would just be a year later that's one possible option and there's many ways you could go with it do you just play, hey, we're just going to play the first week of the season or second week of the season? Whoever finished in the Big 12 first this year and whoever finished first in the Big pac 12 this year, you're going to play each other next year to open the season, to get some eyeballs on you. Or do you do it as kind of an end of the season thing? I think that'd be really cool if you basically had the winner, and you had this in the Big 10 this past season, and it was only done because of the shortened season. But at the end of the year, you had all the different teams in one division play all the different teams in the other division in a cross matchup where you had first place in this division, place first place in that division, third place in this division, place third place in the other division. You could do that between the Big 12 and Pac 12. Now, obviously, the numbers wouldn't line up, but you just have the top eight and you say at the end of the regular season, we're going to play each other. And then basically, you would be in a situation where instead of having like a Big 12 championship, or having a Pac-12 championship, you would have not just one game, you'd have all those games, but also, at that point, you would have the Big 12 regular season champion versus the Pac-12 regular season champion, if you wanted to do that in the postseason, and instead of it just being a one-conference championship, now it's almost like a bowl game. Now it's like basically the, I don't know, the fiesta bowl between the Big 12 and Pac-12 winner, And the winner of that, it would be very, very difficult to keep them out of the college football playoff. Which has obviously been a problem for the Pac-12 and, to a lesser extent, the Big 12. And now that Oklahoma's gone, or will be gone, it's an even bigger issue for the Big 12, at least in the near term. If you're talking about college football playoff with a 14 playoff, because no school outside of Oklahoma, who's going to be gone, has made it to the college football playoff out of the conference. That was one possible assumption of what they could be talking about, a scheduling alliance in some way or another. Another option that could be talked about with Bullsby and the Pac-12 commissioner, Klyovkov, is working with another conference to kind of aggregate their negotiating rights in the next TV deal, which again, Pac-12 due up at the end of 2024, Big 12 due up at the end of 2025. And I don't know if that would be beneficial. I'm sure that's something they're talking about. But if you basically have two brands that are different but owned by the same parent company, would that help in negotiations? Because it'd be more of a lump sum or an overwhelming deal where maybe it helps balance things out. Maybe it helps fortify the Pac-12. That's part of this too. I'm sure Bob Bowlesby, at the same point in time that they're talking about these different things, Bob Bullsby is probably having to sell Klyovkov on these ideas. And Klyovkov has said, we're going to be aggressive. But he needs to know that adding Big 12 members, that coming up with a scheduling alliance, or that handling the media rights for both conferences is going to be beneficial to the Pac-12 because it wouldn't make sense if they were to just say, hey, we're going to raise our overall revenue, but the average per school is going to go down because we're taking you along with us. So you kind of have to sell yourself here if you're Bob Bullsby at well, but that's another option. And then the last option that could be talked about, and maybe there's something else, but these are just kind of assumed, an information download for the Pac-12's new commissioner, to gain a better sense of what the Big 12's eight remaining members can bring to the table. Now, does that relate possibly to a merger between the conference? Is that the Pac-12 basically saying, hey, we'd like to take on some of your schools. We want to learn more about them before we take them on. Or is it something where, I mean, we had that rumor about a week ago, and again, no clue the validity to it, but reckless speculation about the Pac-12 being interested in taking on all the Big 12 teams, but leaving behind Texas Tech and Kansas. Would that be them evaluating all the schools and they'd only want to bring on a couple and kind of create a merger? Or would there just be a merger in general between the Big 12 and Pac-12? Certainly you could put the 12 in the Pac-12, the 8 in the Big 12 together. Now you got a 20-team conference. Split it up into two sides of 10. You just put Colorado back from the Pac-12 side into you call the Big 12 teams whatever you want. The Southern Conference or the Southern Division, I should say, or the Central Division. You call the other ones the West Division, Coastal Division, however you want to title it. Put Colorado back with the Central Division. Maybe put Utah or but one of the Arizona schools, whatever you want to make it work geographically. And then you basically have two divisions of 10 where you play one cross opponent every year. You play your other nine opponents in your league. You go down to just two non-conference games, but your TV value goes up by playing the extra conference games. And then you have the winner of each conference play each other in the title. Or you don't even do the cross conference games and you only base that on, hey, you're only going to play the nine other teams in your division. And then we're going to do the Big Ten thing where second place, place, second place, first place, place, first place. And you get those cross-divisional matchups. That's an option. You can do the pod system. That's been brought up with the SEC with the big conferences. Do you split up into four pods of four? Well, do you split up into four pods of five if you merge the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and put teams close to each other, around each other? I'm trying to think what it would be for Kansas. You put, what, Iowa State, Colorado, Kansas State around each other maybe Oklahoma State, and you play your pod teams and then there's some other rotating schedule around the rest. The big issue there is if you do some sort of merger with the Pac- Pac-12 and Big 12, what do you do with West Virginia? Because it's you would have to like insulate it somehow. You would have to either, if you do the pod system where you say, hey, we're just going to have teams closer to each other, but they're still not even that close to the Big 12 teams, you can't put them with the Pac-12 teams. Do you try to expand more? Do you try to make an ultra merger where you basically merge together the Pac-12, the Big 12, and the American Athletic Conference? And you say, or at least some of the American, you say, hey, we're going to grab Cincinnati, Memphis, Central Florida, some other school, and we're going to have five pods of, of five each or something like that, or six pods of four. In West Virginia, now you have traveling partners with Cincinnati and Memphis and UCF. It's very interesting. And I think... Probably haven't talked enough about the fact that the new Pac 12 commissioner doesn't have a background in college. He came over from a gambling perspective. I believe he was with the MGM Grand. So he's going to have more unique ideas. He is going to have a forward way of thinking. He's going to be aggressive, and he's going to know what kind of industry-wise, because with sports gambling kind of getting so normalized and involved into everyday sports and into the sports leagues sponsoring different leagues, I'm sure he's been at the forefront of conversations of what's next in sports or what's kind of the trendy thing. I could see him having some crazy idea of how to put this together. At the end of the day, it's just going to come down to, was this going to make us more money? As opposed to just helping the Big 12 basically give them life support on a raft. But it's very interesting because I also wonder like, if this would be a short-term thing, if it would be a long-term thing. As far as the short-term, it makes so much sense in terms of why you wouldn't want to expand. You don't want to thin out your slice of pie in the Big 12 by adding more schools who aren't going to add revenue. It makes sense from a standpoint of, well, if these schools, if, if Kansas is going to try to leave to the ACC or the Big 10 then you're going to leave in 2025 as well. So we're not going to think about the long-term. And so I don't know if this is an attempt by the Big 12 to try to find more support so that they would have the long-term option, or if it's just them trying to find a backup for the near term to say, if Oklahoma and Texas leave, what is that going to mean for our TV revenue? We have to find some way of replacing some of the dollars Let's approach the Pac-12, come up with a scheduling alliance, we'll play an extra game with them every year, might add a couple million dollars to what each of the schools are making every year from our TV revenue, which isn't going to be nearly as much as what we lost from Texas and Oklahoma, but it's something. And maybe that's the answer in the short term, or they're just looking for a long-term answer. But I still think at the end of the day, no matter what they're talking about with the Big 12 and Pac-12, it's still not the best option for Kansas. The best option still remains finding a way into another power league, specifically probably the Big Ten or ACC. The Big Ten is making more money than the SEC, at least before the Texas and Oklahoma moves. I'm sure that'll change now. Find a way into one of those conferences. I've said the Pac-12 too. Maybe that's the same thing by doing a merger. It just seems like it would be a better fit if you could do that. Maybe they're not calling. And maybe this is your only option. And if this is the option above sticking around and just hoping something happens and ended up falling to the American Athletic Conference of the Mountain West, then certainly it's a lot better. So this kind of becomes a nice backup plan, so to speak, where you sit around in the short term, you collect your Big 12 money while you're making calls to the other conferences, to the Big 10s of the world, to figure out if you're wanted to pitch why you think you should be in the conference. All the while you're saying yes, sir, to Bob sign signing your checks. And then you can make a decision based on where the Big 12 goes from here. So it's just going to be patient time for Travis Goff and KU from here on. I don't know what the timeline is. I mean, it took Oklahoma and Texas six to 12 months talking to the SEC Maybe that's a similar timeline, but if you're waiting until 2025 for the media rights deal to expire, this could be a long ride. FM 1017, 1320, KLWN's Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Matt Tate of the Lawrence General World, KUSports.com will join us in about 15 minutes get your car washed because it's probably dirty right now whether it's you know washing all the germs out you want to get obviously the germs out of your car but also you want it to look really nice go to tommy's express car wash it's wash rinse repeat with tommy's and guess what they have an app it's the tommy club app so download it i know you have a smartphone so you're going to be able to download apps you don't have a flip phone if you're listening to this podcast i'm just assuming that and if you do more power to you but if you do Then you're missing out on this great deal Because if you download the Tommy Club app today You're going to enjoy endless washing For one low price Endless washing for one low price At Tommy's Express Car Wash That's unlimited car washes Unlimited clean, shiny, and dry Unlimited use of exclusive app lane at Tommy's Unlimited access to all the Tommy's locations And there are a lot of them Unlimited guest service Most importantly, unlimited happiness That's at Tommy's Express Car Wash about 20 till the top of the hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Rex Walters going to join us at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. I'm Derek Johnson with Richie Boswell in studio. Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, Sports.com, now joins us here on RCST. Uh, the Big 12 seems content to just kind of stick around for the near term with what they currently have. Uh, Matt, how much of everything that's been said with Bob Bullsby talking about being patient or... Um, not necessarily wanting to go out and, and just kind of blow things up or, or change things up, so to speak. How much do you think of what's being said publicly from the league do you think is just fodder versus actually being uh, something that they believe?
1: Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, you know, I guess actions speak louder than words, right? And and so there's a report out there today that, that Bullsby's meeting with the Pac-12 commissioner. To just discuss things, I don't, I don't think it's going to be anything groundbreaking right away, or it may not lead to anything at all. But I, I think the fact that he's he's actively pursuing these types of negotiations, conversations, discussions, whatever you want to call them. Um, kind of answers your question. And, and I, I think it's, it's probably a good sign. I know Bowlesby's taken a, a beating the last couple of weeks um, with people pointing the finger at him for, for this being all his fault that the, the Big 12's in this position to begin with. And, and you know, maybe there's some truth to that. Um, but I, I think that, you know, with your back against the wall and when you're kind of in scramble mode, You'd much rather see the commissioner of your conference out there doing things like he is with this uh, reported meeting um, with, with the Big Twelve or the Pac twelve today, rather than just sitting on his hands, sort of hoping things work out. So there's something you can you, you you can view that that's something you can view as a positive, and 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 I think in in a bunch of strange ways it it, it sort of shows some solidarity between the the conference right these eight schools that are still um big 12 members for for who knows how long uh obviously the eight not named oklahoma and texas you know they're, they're being told hey let's stick together that's our best path forward let's stick together let's stick together but at the same time Boldby's even acknowledged that hey i realize these schools are going to go out and have their own conversations and try to figure out contingency plans and 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 fallback plans and all this type of stuff and and so he's essentially just doing the same thing in in this regard he wants this group of eight to stay together but he's out there trying to figure out well what what happens if we do that? What, what what moves can we make if we do that? So I, I think it's it's kind of interesting that that you're seeing a lot of action that that may or may not lead to anything, but um, but 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 you have to move. You have to do something. There has to be a proactive approach. That at the conference level, that's with Bob Bowlesby, that's with the Big Twelve, and that's with each individual school as well. So I, I think, I, I think this isn't anything that's going to move super quickly. I think this is something that's going to continue to be played out over a long period of time. But, um, but yeah, you know, the fact that they're having this type of a discussion today with another Power Five conference is. It can only be viewed as a positive, even if it doesn't lead to anything, because you don't have time to sit and wait to hope things work out.
0: If this was on the table for, say, a Pac-12, Big 12 merger, would that be enough for you if, if you were in charge here of Kansas to say, well, that's good enough for us, or would you still be kind of looking around at maybe some of your other options?
1: Uh. Yeah, good question. I, I mean, I think it's all about the dollars, right? If 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 some sort of Pac-12, Big 12 merger, whether that's a 20-team super conference or whatever it is, if you get you know, let's say Fox in this instance, if you get Fox to say, "Hey, here's what we can do we can we can guarantee that every member in that conference is going to take home 30 million dollars uh, annually, and and you know, with the potential to grow." I, I think it'd be hard to not take take that as an opportunity to jump on. You know, I think that, that that's what this whole thing's going to come down to. Stability is a huge part of it. But I think what we've learned in college athletics over the last decade is stability may not be a thing anymore, right? I mean, um, Oklahoma and Texas owned the Big 12 Conference. They ran the show. It was their world. And everybody else just kind of fell in line with, with their needs. And even they decided that that wasn't good enough and and you know have, have obviously now made this move so stability is is important sure but I think it's a little bit overrated too because the minute you think you have stability is probably the minute you become the most vulnerable so I think it's all about the money and if the money is there Fox or Amazon or Hulu or ESPN or whoever it is shows uh, the, the, the leaders and, and these you know university presidents and 80s and all that stuff here's our numbers, take it or leave it. If those numbers are up near 30 million or, or, or higher than that, I think you have to take it at that point. So it, it you know, that that's a long, long way off. And, and there's certainly no guarantee um, that, that those numbers will ever come to light. But I have to think if, if these two conferences could, you know, produce 30 plus million dollar annual payout to all their members over the last few years, Even without Oklahoma and Texas, I have to think they'd be able to get close to that um, with some sort of super conference. And, and, you know, getting close to that is probably enough because you've read and everybody's heard what what happens if KU is not in the Power Five. Um, That that number goes way down, way down. So, you know, even, even 27, 28 annually would probably be comforting enough to, to jump all over it so you know we're a lot like i said we're a long ways away from that and and so are these conferences but um th- that's, that's sort of the way i think the the thinking has to be lining up and start formulating in their heads as they look forward to what may or may not happen i
0: i don't know if you know the answer to this but as far as the difference in the money because uh, bob bulls mentioned that without texas and oklahoma you drop down to 14 million pretty much what the school payouts are with tv revenue as opposed to 28 million where does that money go does it just stay in the athletic department does it go to the other programs like if you had to hypothetically drop off to the american or the mountain west conference what do you think that would mean would that mean loss of certain sports at ku would that mean budget cuts would that be an issue for the university as a whole where does that kind of money play into
1: yeah, there's no, there's no question that I think you you the first thing you'd see is a, a number of sports eliminated. I, I just think that's you know these things cost money to run and and the travel and and scholarships associated with them and and other expenses. I mean, I, I think that's unfortunately one of the easiest ways to to save some of that money is is just you know um, knock off a few of the sports that flat out are not revenue generating sports. And there's a lot of those at Kansas. So that would be certainly a place that, that you can start. Um, and, and then another place that, that's far more um, uh, probably of, of, of far more concern to the fan base is, is coaching contracts. You know, uh, all of a sudden, you don't have that kind of money coming in you might not be able to have that kind of money going out and and the coaches that you hire may be of a different caliber um than than what you've come to expect over the last several decades so um you know i I don't obviously mean to sound the alarm or anything like that but you take football for example let's let's say lance leipold is the guy let's say he's able to get it going here and, and and let's say that you know, he, uh, he, he turns this thing around in the next four or five years. Well, he's going to have other suitors, right? There are going to be other programs out there that say, holy cow, that man is a god. He did it at Kansas. Let's hire him. And let's pay him $8 million a year to bring his expertise and talents to our school and do that here. KU is not going to be able to match that if that's the case. So, um, you know, you know, there's there's a lot of danger in, in those types of things too, and and I think those are the two biggest areas um, as far as the university part of it. I, I don't I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. Generally speaking, their budgets are separate and, and they do run separately. So that's you know that's what Kansas athletics is um, versus the university as a whole. So. I don't know that it would affect them directly in terms of the dollars and the numbers, but, but certainly enrollment affects that, and, and uh, part of one of the important things that athletics does is, is drive enrollment and, and things like that, so um, you know that could hurt the university in that way, even if it was sort of indirectly.
0: We're talking with Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Let's say there is a Pac-12 and Big 12 merger. Would there be a team a school or just a location that you'd be most interested in Ku you getting to face off with
1: oh yeah man uh ucla and basketball as you say that's
0: got to be the the one you circle in basketball
1: <laughs> for sure arizona though too arizona hmm. arizona state i mean you know consistently uh being a part of those those programs and, and having them on your annual schedules uh oregon's another one obviously um you, you get the, the the pat Knight experience phil night i'm sorry uh phil night experience and get to see all those uniforms and crazy facilities that that they've got going up there i mean yeah there's a million and and uh you know i, I think that while it doesn't probably go the same way from the pac 12 to the big 12 i doubt some of those Southern California teams and and West Coast teams are all that excited about checking out Stillwater or Ames. Um, you know, I do think that there's there's enough uh, clout that goes both ways. I mean, if you look at if you look at uh, Oklahoma State and Baylor and even K State, even TCU. Um, you know, over the past decade or so, they've had an absolute. Decent, solid, good run in in terms of BCS and college football playoff, and being in the conversation there. That those those teams that I just mentioned that aren't Texas and and Oklahoma. I didn't mention Iowa State, but they're certainly one of the hotter ones right now. You know, those teams are all in the mix and and in those. Uh, playoff type conversations over the past decade, so you know they're every bit as good as what what the Pac-12 has had. I think you know. Obviously, you could do the numbers and 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 break down the records and look at it exactly what it is. But um, but you know, there's USC's been down. The Arizona schools have been a little down. Um, Stanford has has maintained their standing for the most part, but also had a couple of down years. So it's not it's not like this powerful, powerful football conference is just taking pity on this other one. I think the the Big 12's programs have have absolutely shown that they can they can hang right and 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 offer something to the table. And then that's to say nothing of the basketball brand with obviously Kansas year after year after year uh, Baylor with their defending national championship, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot to like. Um, there's a lot of reasons that these two teams, I'm sorry, these two conferences could continue to explore this thing and say, hey, this makes a lot of sense. Number one, it would provide us with a little punch um and if that punch extended to the television dollars then then that would be the most important thing but number two it would bring a little bit of like hey we're we're together and we're we're gonna we're gonna be together and we don't have to worry about others poaching us or falling apart or anything like that so long 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 way off obviously but i i I think it's a i think it's a very interesting thing that they're exploring and i think big 12 fans should be excited that they are
0: do you view this more as a short-term answer or a long-term answer for the conference? Um I mean Yeah, you know, both. I mean
1: that's right. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think I think in terms of short-term survival mode, yeah, you jump on and grab whatever life raft you can you can reach, right? And uh and if that keeps you afloat, then you're thrilled to 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 hang on. But um but man, if you're if you're talking about the first super conference, a 20-team conference, and, and you get a, a contract with Fox, I mean, you know, obviously there's been some, some said uh, between the Big 12 and ESPN of late that makes you think maybe ESPN's not a future partner. But, you know, if Fox wants to stay in the game, um this is probably the best way they can do it uh you know that, that you you would latch on to two pretty powerful conferences and and uh you just have to find the money and maybe it's there maybe it's not um, but that that's something that's worth keeping an eye on and of course all the streaming stuff i mean i think that i think that anybody that's overlooking that you know and making this purely about television networks uh i i think you're you're missing it you know i i do think uh, Hulu and and Amazon and Apple and Netflix even, and, and, and others are going to get involved in this, in the future of, of college athletics. And we've already seen that. I mean, there is already a move toward that. Obviously fans, you know, Kansas fans have been very frustrated by the number of games that have been solely on ESPN plus over the last couple of seasons. And, and, you know, there's more of that coming. So, um, so, so, it's not just, hey, Fox, or hey, ESPN, we need you. You know, there are other avenues that they can explore, and, and I think that, that Bolsey and the Big 12 and whoever they're working with will will explore all of them, and, and I, I think at this point they have to because it's, it's do-or-die time right now.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point with all the streaming services. I hadn't really considered that. You could end up in just a bidding war with more companies, and especially with with Amazon, with what they're doing with the NFL, maybe they're interested in getting into the college game as well. I think that's a really good point. Uh, we're talking with Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, sports.com for a few more minutes here on Rock Jock Sports Talk. So I have Rex Walters coming up in a little bit, and I guess the name of this segment is going to be Matt Does Derek's Job for Him. Um, is there any <laughs> Rex Walters stories or things that stick out to you um, about his time at KU?
1: oh my goodness um yeah man he was he was as good as it gets uh, in my opinion you know there's there's there have been so many good guards in the bill self era um, and, and so many good ones recently that that you kind of forget what an impact he had um, on those early Roy Williams teams I mean this guy was was uh, terrifically talented everybody knows that but I mean he he carried himself with some some swagger and and played hard and and was as competitive as it gets and you know there's a lot to like about uh, what he did at Kansas. Obviously, I, I do think it's fair to put him in the conversation of you know all-time greats because I think he was and I, I think he you know he he, he was a big part of, of of setting the foundation for for you know the new era of Kansas basketball. Post Danny Manning and with Roy taking over and all that stuff, so um, man, I you know I I, I think I think uh, anytime you talk to Rex Walters, I think it's fun to talk to him about you know just where his confidence came from and 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 why he played the way he did and where where that came from. Um, last year I think it was or maybe it was two years ago. I reached out to him and talked to him about his role in the movie Blue Chips, which is always a fun topic. And, you know, that was uh, particularly timely because of the NCAA investigation and, and all that stuff. So. If you're really, really hurting, you can talk to him about his role there. And, and uh, you know, he, he gave he gave me a great story. It was really an interesting topic to, to talk to him about. So, you know, I, I don't know that you need to bring it up. There's plenty to talk about right now with all this other stuff. But, um, but yeah, you know, you, you can talk to him about a million things. And uh, you can talk to him about Coach Van Gundy, who he worked with in the NBA. Um, he was just with Danny, too, wasn't he, at Wake?
0: Yeah, a couple of years ago. Um, last year he was with Pelicans. Who, uh, yeah, with Van Gundy, and he'll be able to talk about what Devontae Graham's getting into. So,
1: see, you, you,
0: you, you, bottom line, you need to cut me off right now and go grab
1: him <laughs> because he's a much, much better interview than I could ever hope to be. But, um, but I hope that you know, I hope that I, I, I killed some time for you. Let's let's put it that way.
0: No, you're you're selling yourself short, Matt. Always a wonderful interview. Joins us every Tuesday here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Thank you for helping me do my job, get a little homework done for me, and helping me uh, scribble it right in before uh, I get into to class later today. <laughs> <laughs> he is Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Thanks again for the time.
1: Yeah, you bet, man. Every Tuesday you said it, and I want to give a shout-out to my guy Vernon, who said he listens. I, was, I just saw this on mm. Twitter, and he said he listens every week. So, Vernon, love you, man. Thanks for listening, and uh, keep listening as Derek tries to tackle Rex Walters and uh, then tweet about it and tell me how he did because I would love to listen. I'll check it on the podcast, but I've, I've got something else popping right now that i got to jump on, so I need you, Vernon, and, and Derek, I need you. You've got to come through on this. I want it to be worth my time later when I hop on that podcast.
0: Love it. Shout-out, Big Vern. Shout-out, Matt Tate. Thanks again for the time.
1: All right, Derek. Thanks. Take care.
0: All right, that's Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, Sports.com. joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Richie Boswell. I'm Derek Johnson. Rex Walters joins us next. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk
1: with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and
0: 1320 KLWN. Welcome back in. 4 o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. Richie Boswell in studio. Coming up, we will continue on with our KU football opponent season previews, talking Texas, and then Brad Kellner will join us from 104.9 The Horn to further preview Texas. But right now, we're joined by a former KU star shooting guard, Rex Walters, member of the 1993 Final Four team. Rex, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, You just wrapped up a season with the New Orleans Pelicans, and you came on literally the day after Devontae Graham is now headed there. How do you think uh, Devonte is going to fit down uh, in the bayou?
2: Well, I think he'll be great. I mean, the, the biggest thing that, that New Orleans needs, that we need, is shooting. And, and Devontae's a high-level shooter. I think he can guard point guards, which I, I think you'll see Zion on the ball an awful lot as well, kind of playing a point power forward. Devontae can play off the ball, but also can handle it, and he can guard their points which you've know, you got to have a guy out there that can do that. So uh, I think it's a great pickup. I mean, New Orleans need, we need shooting uh, out there to surround you know Zion, surround uh, Brandon Ingram, and you know Graham can definitely do that at a high level.
0: Do you uh, think that getting to coach Zion Williamson, is that like the craziest athlete just in terms of pure athleticism that you've got to be around?
2: Well, it's not only that, it's just how much power he brings. Like he can play through so much contact that he, he doesn't get half the calls he should really get because he makes it, he just goes through the contact so easily. So yeah, in that way, it's, it's a little ridiculous. I mean, we've got some freaks in our league. Giannis is a freak. I got to playing against a guy named Michael Jordan, who was a freak as well. But in terms of just the raw power, and explosiveness that Zion brings, and he's not a finished product. I mean, he's still developing his jump shot. He's still, you know, this is the first real season that he really played on the ball as much as he did. So, uh, it's kind of scary to think of what he can do. If, if they can put the right pieces around him and the right shooting and the defense around him, the sky is really the limit because he is truly, uh, you know, in that one percentile in terms of just size speed athleticism and then skill
0: we're talking with rex walters here former jayhawk your former coach when you were at ku roy williams just retired uh so i figure i'd kind of open the floor for you here do you have a good roy story a Roy story that when somebody asks you what do you remember about roy williams that you like to share
2: really funny i was just talking to someone about that like the the first time we lost a game at kansas you know i was sitting out that year but coach would come in and he'd be really sad and like blaming himself and how poor a job he did preparing us and how poor a job he did coaching us and then the next day would be the hardest day of your life. Okay, <laughs> like people didn't understand. Like you, got, you, you go from two totally different emotions. Of, I feel bad for this guy. You know, he's blaming himself. To literally, it's going to be the hardest practice of your life uh, in everything <laughs> that we do, in every drill. And uh, like, there's no way we're going to be able to please this man. So that was a, that was really a, a unique thing for me to experience as a college kid to see a guy go from complete and total sadness to you think the guy might be the devil.
0: (laughs) And, I mean, we've heard, like, some stories about some of the toughest conditioning things you had to do. I I forget what the the mile time was that – players had to run, was it six minutes or something, or maybe something different for big men versus guards. But was there was there a story, we were just talking about this earlier on the show, the New York Giants basically, which you don't see very often in the NFL. You see it in college and high school with when coaches get mad, they'll make you run sprints and do push-ups and stuff. Don't see it much in the NFL, but New York Giants head coach Joe Judge just did this. So is there a good conditioning story uh, with Roy Williams or with you or maybe your teammates there?
2: Well, before I got there, there's this thing that they called the gut check. And so, basically, what it is is he puts four garbage cans on every corner of the court. That's not a good sign, okay?
0: <laughs> and then,
2: and then, what you do is you run a thing called a thirty-three, and you got to go okay, run the court, touch the baseline, run back, touch the baseline, run the court, touch the baseline again, run back to the baseline. Third, you know, the fifth time you touch the baseline, you got to cross the free throw line. So you got to do that in thirty-three seconds, but. He put 100 points on the scoreboard. And the guy that came in last of your group, if he came in at 32, you got one point. If he came in at 33, you got zero points. So you had three groups, and you had to get to 100. So just think about how many 33s a guy would have to run. And I just remember that the story was that Mark Randall, who was a great player, was a first-round draft pick of the Chicago Bulls. I think he's a scouter. Does something for the Denver Nuggets now. So Mark Randall, you know, we're about they're about halfway through it. Mark runs over to one of the garbage cans and Coach Williams is just very calm, he says, he says to Doc Carnes, uh, Mark Carnes who was our trainer, he said, Hey Mark, if uh if Mark's not throwing up, you better let him know he better be back on that line. So <laughs> you couldn't get you couldn't get out of stuff even if you were throwing up or trying to make yourself throw up. That that was that was the thing that always scared us. You'd always say, hey, if you keep this up. We're just going to do a gut check. And that kind of got us all in line.
0: As far as your playing career at KU, you, you come in, transfer from Northwestern and, and head over to KU. Uh, thinking about how much, I guess, the transfer portal has kind of blown up of late. And now there's the new rule with you not having to sit out the first time, which you did have to sit out. Uh, being that you've kind of experienced the benefit of being able to go somewhere else and see the rewards of transferring, but also being a former coach and being in the coaching world, it, the college game where you were at San Francisco recently, it, I, and trying to kind of deal with the headaches from a roster perspective of that. What's kind of your overall thoughts on the new transfer rules?
2: Well, I think that college basketball and just college athletics is going to be completely and totally different. It's going to be the Wild Wild West going forward. I think there's certain places that will probably be able to maintain a roster, but every year your roster is going to change. You're not going to have the same type of relationship. Or, like, when I went to Kansas, like, everyone knew who I was. I was there for three years. Adonis Jordan was there for four years. Like, you really got to know your players. Like, that's going to be a lot different. You know, your roster is going to change every single year. Um, it's, it's, it's different. It's different. I, you know, it's going to be interesting how coaches handle it, how coaches deal with it. You got the NIL where, where now guys can basically get paid to go to school there. So it, it's, it's a different atmosphere. It's a different way of looking thing. I think it's going to be a different relationship between your students and your, your student athletes and your alumni and your student athletes. But, uh, there's certain programs. I think Kansas is one that, you know, They'll be able to, to weather all this stuff, and you know Bill does a great job. He's going to get great players, and they're going to find ways to get the best championships.
0: And I know one thing we've talked about with this team specifically upcoming this year is they have a lot of new players to the Bill Self system, and I believe it's double-digit new players being brought on, but they're also experienced players. And in past years, some of Bill Self's best teams have been the more experienced ones, but those have been not just experienced but experienced in the program specifically under Bill Self so what do you think I guess matters more there is it just being around the program or is it just experience in college basketball
2: well I think you want to have both I mean you you know you want to have teams that are junior senior led teams and understand you know Bill and the job that he does and what he's trying to get accomplished each and every day I mean it's going to be a, a different challenge every single year for every single coach because, you know, playing playing at Kansas is a lot different than playing at Arizona State. It, it just is. The expectations, the fanfare, the expectations of your coach and how they do things every single day. So uh, the one thing that won't change is, you know, a guy like Remy, I mean, he understands how to score in a college basketball game. The, the biggest thing is it's going to be a different way of scoring for him, you know, because it's a different system, it's a different philosophy. You know, Coach Self is a different coach than than Bobby Hurley. Like those are gonna, there's gonna be some ups and downs with that. But the thing is, everyone's experiencing it. Everyone's roster is changing. So you know, the the guys that are very organized, understand how they want to coach and teach, get a lot out of their practice, which Bill has always done. They're gonna have, they're still gonna maintain a high level of success.
0: Are you jealous at all of the current guys who now get to profit off name, image, and likeness? And thinking what well, maybe you could have had the opportunity to do when you were at KU? I, I,
2: there's no jealousy in my heart. <laughs> I've made a lot. Of, I've made a lot of money. I've, I've, I've done relatively well for myself. A lot of that I owe to Kansas and, and the platform that that you know I got the program. I got to play for at Kansas, playing for Coach Williams. I was a first round draft pick. I was really, really blessed and fortunate. Uh, you know, I, I I'm not jealous at all. I, I I hope that they understand the opportunity they have to play at a place like Kansas, because there's nothing like it. I've played in the NBA. I've been to a lot of different college campuses. Kansas is truly the the greatest place to play college basketball. So hopefully these guys really understand that, and they make sure that they understand that they show the proper amount of respect, you know, that that type of program and that kind of coaching staff – the kind of people at Kansas, what they deserve. And and hopefully I know Bill will get the best out of them and that won't
0: be a problem. We're talking with Rex Walters, two time, all big East member when he was at Kansas back in the early nineties, from that 93 season, when you go on that run to the final four, is the Indiana game, the one that sticks out the most from that season and that tournament run?
2: I would play a great game. So (laughs) it game for me. I was, I was okay. Um, the Cal game was a great game. Um, the BYU just getting over the hump. The year before, I thought we were the best team in college basketball, the 91-92 team, and we got beat. Uh, we just played a bad game against UTEP. So that whole experience was phenomenal. Beating IU twice. We beat them earlier in the year at the Hoosier Dome on their basically their home court. And then to do it again in St. Louis, knowing that we were going to the final four and have a chance to compete for a national championship. Was definitely truly special. We had a great team, great teammates. I loved playing for Coach Williams, and that staff was phenomenal. When you think about Kevin Stallings, you know, um, you think of Matt Doherty, you think of Steve Robinson—great people. So, you know, I'm I'm really blessed that I got to experience all of that with a great group of guys and people that I I uh, still talk to this day.
0: You're selling yourself short. You had 12 points on four of eight shooting with eight assists in that game against Indiana, but to your point, you were absolutely on fire that whole tournament. Um, You start out the tournament by going six of six from three in the opening round against Ball State. You shot 18 of 30 from three-point range in that tournament overall. I mean, I know a lot of fans remember just recently from a couple years ago, March Malik, where Malik Newman was – just shooting laser beams out of his arm the whole tournament. But that's what you did in that 1993 tournament, 18 of 30, from downtown. Did you just enjoy playing those games on the biggest stage? I mean, did you just kind of feel in the zone during the course of that tournament? Well, that was everything that I had always dreamed of, you know, playing in that type
2: of environment, playing for, you know, a, a team and a program like Kansas. You dream of stuff like that. My, As a California kid, I dreamed of it being UCLA, but as I grew up, I, you know, I just got lucky, and Kansas happened to be the place that I got to go to. But, yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was pretty locked in for, for those first four games. And, you know, I didn't play well enough against Carolina to help bring it home. But, but yeah, that was, uh, that was a great time of my life. I ended up marrying the girl I was going out with. So, I mean, all the things
0: that you could ask for happened to me because I went to Kansas. He is Rex Walters. Two-time All-Big East member with the Jayhawks in the early 90s helped lead them to the 1993 Final Four. Rex, thank you so much for the time and uh, wish you well in whatever future endeavors you're looking to do. Not sure if you're looking to stick around in the coaching profession, get into broadcasting or whatnot, but excited to see you around and, and hope to see you around Lawrence sometime soon.
2: I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, guys.
0: All right, thanks again. That is Rex Walters, former KU star shooting guard, Back in the early 90s. I'm Derek Johnson with Richie Boswell. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN's Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Coming up next, we're going to preview KU's next opponent. That would be the Texas Longhorns, the team leaving for the SEC. That We continue on with our KU football season previews through most of the opponents. We've just got a couple more to go here. Next up is Texas, as we were just talking about earlier. Brad Kellner now joins us. He is the host of the Afternoon Drive, 104.9 in Austin, Uh, Brad, I guess before, though, we get into this preview with Texas and Kansas and more so previewing the Texas football team, obviously a lot going on, I'm sure, with the realignment, SEC talk and everything. So what's kind of the latest in Austin about everything going on with college football realignment and the Big 12 and SEC and so forth?
3: Thanks for the time, Derek. Yeah, it's been the uh, easiest all season ever to host a sports radio show (laughs) in Austin. I mean, there just has been so much to talk about. Obviously, the big news that came down a couple of weeks ago that Texas is reportedly leaving the Big 12 for the SEC, and now that it appears that it has all come to fruition, uh, it's been crazy, man. But this fan base is pretty excited about the move, and uh, we're just trying to figure out when this is all going to go down. So it's not a matter of if anymore, it's a matter of when Texas and Oklahoma leave the Big 12 for the SEC but it has been a pretty uh, tumultuous couple of weeks. I think it's been just about two weeks since the original Houston Chronicle report dropped, hinting at the idea of Texas and Oklahoma leaving for the SEC, and obviously a lot has changed since then. So wild times here in Austin, no doubt.
0: I mean, is there talk that they would be willing to pay the buyout? I'm sure they're going to do everything in their power to avoid that, but uh, money talks in in Austin, and, and certainly there's a lot of it, down there, do you think they would pay the buyout to get out as soon as next year if everything around them doesn't work out? I do.
3: I think they'd find a way to raise the money to pay that buyout. Texas has a lot of money. Oklahoma has a lot of money. Now, look, uh, they'd rather not pay the reported $70 million exit fee, right? Despite how much money the two schools have, you still want to save $70 million whenever you can. But there might be a a built-in free pass for Texas and Oklahoma, if you will, because ESPN still owes the University of Texas around 150 million dollars for the god awful Longhorn Network contract <laughs> which was signed a little more than 10 years ago so there's a belief that you know ESPN could just pay Texas that money and that money could go directly towards not only paying Texas's exit fee from the Big 12 but also Oklahoma's as well so there are ways for the two schools to uh, to pay off that exit fee but of course Derek they're going to try to do what they can to leave this conference before 2025 and do so without having to pay that $70 million. Well,
0: as far as this year, we know they will be part of the Big 12 as we're joined by Brad Kellner here. I feel like previewing Texas starts with the new man at the head coach spot in Steve Sarkeesian. What's the transition been like there over the offseason, and how has he been kind of received so far in Austin?
3: Yeah, that's the biggest question, obviously. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian, very highly touted one of the big-name coaching candidates out there this offseason. I think everybody saw how good he was as an offensive coordinator at Alabama the last couple of years. I mean, the Crimson Tide had a record-setting offense in 2020. They were doing things that we had never seen before in college football. But, look, to be honest, Steve Sarkeesian has not been that great as a head coach. And the last time he was a head coach at USC, things ended horribly, horribly for for Sark and for USC. So still some questions about Sark as a head coach, but people are excited. Uh, people are optimistic, once again, with what we saw from Sark's offense the last two years at Alabama. I think Texas fans are, are confident that that the offense is going to translate, maybe not immediately. Right? Of course, the talent at Texas right now is nowhere close to what Alabama had the last couple of years. But still, uh, there's a belief that Sark's going to handle things on the offensive side of the football. And he did a really, really good job filling out his initial coaching staff. I think that's one of the things that gives Texas fans more confidence in Sark than what they had over Charlie Strong and Tom Herman is that this initial staff is really, really good, and Stark was able to coach some of the best coordinators and position coaches from around the country. So look it's Texas, Derek. I mean, Texas fans are always optimistic. They're always hopeful. But uh, there's, a, there's a strong belief in Steve Sarkeesian that he can be the guy to really get this program back to where it needs to be.
0: Eight starters return to the offense. Biggest question seems to be who's going to take over at QB when you lose a guy like Sam Ellinger. Who do you think has the S there? Is it a guy like Casey Thompson, or is it maybe somebody new coming in, like the big five-star freshman who, in my opinion, has the most Texas starting quarterback name ever in Hudson card?
3: (laughs) Yeah, you know, Stark has uh, kept this competition pretty open. Every time he's been asked about this competition all offseason long, he hasn't declared a winner. He hasn't declared that either of those two guys is even in the lead. So, you know, I think the safe pick, the safe bet is Casey Thompson. He's been at Texas for three years. He was the backup quarterback behind Sam Ellinger last year. Uh, When Sam Ellinger got hurt in the Alamo Bowl, Casey Thompson came in and performed masterfully in the second half of that game. He was 8 of 10, throwing the football with four touchdowns. And he turned what was a one-possession game at halftime against Colorado into a blowout win for Texas in the Alamo Bowl. Meanwhile, Hudson Card was here last year, but only threw three pass attempts as a true freshman. So, I think the upside is probably higher with Hudson Carr, but I think the safer pick is the more experienced guy. I think it's going to be Casey Thompson who trusts the Longhorns out onto the field 32 days from now when they open up the season against Louisiana.
0: You know, when I think back to some of the the big five-star running back recruits that Texas brought in, whether it's been guys like Malcolm Brown or Jonathan Gray, they've been solid, but not stars, but... It seems like that's not the case at all with a guy like Bajan Robinson. Is he ready for a bigger workload this year after maybe getting underused a little bit with Tom Herman? Uh, I think
3: so. And that's what excites Texas fans the most. I mean, this kid is an absolute stud. He's getting a bunch of preseason honors and recognition, and deservedly so. He's one of the best running backs in the country. He averaged nine yards a touch last year. I mean, every time he had the football in his hands, he was able to make something happen the dude's elite. And, yeah, I mean, a lot of Texas fans had a lot of gripes with Tom Herman last year. But you could argue the, the biggest thing that Texas fans couldn't stand with Tom Herman last year was how little he used B. John Robinson. It's like he was scared to play him because he was a true freshman. But it was clear that Bijan was incredibly ready for college football. And uh, I think in Steve Sarkeesian's offense, he's going to be really, really good. Every year, Steve Sarkisian has been a play caller at the college level. He's had a 1,000-yard rusher. I fully expect that trend to continue. I think Bijan's going to be a thousand yard back. And it's interesting, Derek, you look at Heisman odds right now. Bijan Robinson has the best Heisman odds for any non quarterback in college football. Pretty rare for a non QB to win. I know Devontae Smith just won it last year, but it's become sort of a quarterback award over the last couple of decades. Bijan is viewed not only highly here in Austin, but by pundits all over the country. I think this guy's got a chance to be really, really special. And if he's not already a household man for college football fans, I think he will be by the time the season's over.
0: Yeah, just another one in a long line of really good Big 12 running backs this year. When you think of Brees Hall and Robinson, Deuce Vaughn at Kansas State, and the list goes on and on. We're talking with Brad Kellner here, who is the host of the Afternoon Drive in 104.9 Austin. On the other side of the ball, defensively, there were some issues at certain points last year. They ended up um, in the lower rankings of the Big 12 in points allowed per game. They were in the 60s in defensive efficiency. So what does the defense have to do better this year?
3: A lot of things. <laughs> Honestly, Derek, I mean, they, they've got to get better at all three levels. I love the defensive coordinator hire they made. They got Pete Witkowski over from Washington, who is regarded as one of the best defensive coordinators in all of college football. So that's a great start. They, got in a, they brought in a guy who I think is going to do really, really well with the talent that Texas has they got to get better at rushing the passer, first and foremost. They had Joseph Osai last year, who was a third-round pick by the Bengals in the NFL draft. One of the best defensive players in this conference last year. But he was the only player on this defense that had more than two sacks in 2020. So he's gone, and now it's like, well, who's going to be the guy or who are going to be the guys to try to step up? and replace that production you're losing with Joseph Osai. Uh The interior of the defensive line is great, but on the edge, I think Texas needs a little bit more pressure. And then the back end, too, Texas has a lot of experience in its secondary. They've got a couple of seniors starting at cornerback. They brought in a grad transfer from McNeese State, a guy by the name of Darian Dunn, who's expected to complete for play, uh, compete for playing time as well. They've got a lot of experience, but the secondary has not been consistent enough over the last couple of years in Austin so really they've got a lot of questions but pass rush and consistency on the back end are probably the two biggest ones facing this defense going into the season
0: so as far as if you were to peg the biggest strength on the team from a position group on either end of the ball and the biggest weakness on on either end of the ball I don't know if it would be the secondary there as well um, what would you say for those two things for Texas football here on paper headed into 2021?
3: Yeah, biggest strength would be running back. I mean, you've got one of the best in the country with Dijon Robinson, but it's not just Dijon. Uh, Roshan Johnson is a guy who's been here for a couple of years. Really, really solid number two. A guy who would be a number one on a lot of teams in college football. And also Keelan Robinson. Don't uh, don't forget this name. Keelan Robinson is a guy who transferred in from Alabama this offseason. He knows Stark's offense really well. And he's kind of categorized as a gadget guy, like a guy just you give him the ball in space, either give him carries or you throw it to him on the outside, and he can make stuff happen with the ball in his hand. So Texas, once again, one of the best running backs in the country, but they also have some depth in that running back room as well. I wouldn't be surprised if we see two running backs on the field at certain times this year for Texas. And then in terms of weakness, you know, wide receiver is an area of concern for me. Texas lost its leading receiver from a year ago, Uh, One of the guys that was expected to start is Jake Smith, and he recently, I mean, very recently entered the portal and transferred to USC. So not a lot of proven experience in that wide receiver room for Texas. You know there's talent there. There's always talent at Texas. Recruiting is always very, very good for Texas. They usually rank number one in this conference in terms of recruiting classes every year, but not a lot of proven commodities on the outside so wide receiver probably the biggest concern on offense I'll give you a quick one on defense linebacker will be an issue there too Texas brought in five transfer linebackers this offseason so I think that tells you everything you need to know about what Sark and this new coaching staff felt about the linebacker room before they got here hopefully a couple of those transfers can make an impact this year but some uh, some definite questions with that group on this Texas defense
0: over the last four matchups between these two teams and obviously last year There wasn't a game due to some COVID issues within the KU program. Over the last four years, average score is Texas 35, Kansas 28. So what has caused, from your opinion, Kansas to be such a thorn in the side of Texas from a football perspective compared to what Kansas has not been able to do to other teams over the last handful of years?
3: Yeah, a lot of people are trying to figure that question out, and it's uh, caused the demise of a couple of coaches here in Austin, right? That was the dagger of the Charlie Strong era back in 2016, that loss in Lawrence. Uh, I don't know. I mean, look, Texas has had problems with playing down with competition. We saw that at the end of the Mack Brown era. We saw it throughout the Charlie Strong era. We saw it through the Tom Herman era as well. But it just kind of goes through all the things that I've talked about, right? Just inconsistencies for Texas. I remember the 50-48 to 48 game two years ago here in Austin and Texas. I mean, the score tells it all. Texas couldn't get off the field. They couldn't stop Carter Stanley. And the secondary was just exposed time and time again in that game. So, you know, Kansas has had some very good playmakers over the last few years that have caused some problems for Texas. But, look, uh, there's there's no business why the the score margin over the last four years between these two teams are that close. I mean, you look on paper, it feels like Texas should win games against Kansas just about every year in blowout fashion, and it hasn't happened. So, kind of a roundabout way to not really answer your question. I guess the answer is, I don't know, Derek. (laughs) I really don't know why Texas just completely loses itself whenever they've played Kansas recently.
0: He is Brad Kellner. He is the host of the Afternoon Drive in 104.9 Austin. Brad, thank you so much for the time, and uh, maybe talk to you down the road for the Big 12 SEC showdown between Kansas and Texas later this (laughs) year.
3: You got it, Derek. Thanks,
0: man. All right, Brad Kellner joining us here previewing Texas. If you missed any of our other previous previews of KU's opponents this year, check it out on our Best of RCST podcast brought to you by Tommy's Express Car Wash. Two hours down, one to go. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports joins us next. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Welcome back in 5 o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. Richie Boswell in with me. Here in the RCST studio, Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports joins us now. Earlier today, it was reported that Big 12, Pac-12 were meeting or I don't know. Can we still call it the Big 12? Should we just start calling it the Big 8 or something like that? But either way, they're meeting and talking about, I don't know if it would be a merger, if it would be talking about doing maybe some crossover matchups. If there was a Big 12 and Pac-12 crossover, is there any matchups that you think would intrigue you the most that you think could maybe drive up? The television revenue in the conference?
1: You know,
4: not not really the that jumps out. I mean, I, I know that there are good teams in in both conferences, you know, but you know, you think it something like Iowa State, Oregon, or or, or something like that. K State is playing Stanford this year to, to open up, I believe that game's in Arlington. Um, and, and so you, you have that one But it feels like a lot of the times in the past when the two leagues have matched up, you know, it's been, you know, a a school like Stanford that had been on a hot run to that point uh, or somebody like that, that adds, you know, sort of this level of intrigue. And I think one of the problems, Derek was setting up a TV deal and, you know, matchups between the big 12 and, and Pac 12 is specifically within the big 12. I don't know that we've really had, programs that you could look at and say consistently this is going to be a good team and a matchup that I want to watch 2 years from now right like we've had the dominance from Oklahoma you know from I think they've won every title from 2015 on in the league but generally they've been challenged by sort of different teams every year and so when you remove Oklahoma from the equation when you remove Texas from the equation to a lesser extent all of a sudden, when you're trying to project and say, okay, in 2023, these two teams should meet up, I don't know that there's anybody that you could really feel great about, okay, this team is, is going to be really good, and this is going to be a matchup that I definitely want to see when you're making those predictions.
0: Well, I think if it's a merger, it's, it's maybe easier to come up with a solution like, you know, if we're going to merge them together, let's just put Colorado over and we'll call your division like, the, I don't know, the Central Division or the Southwest Division or whatever. And we'll be the, the Coastal Division or whatever you want to call it. And we'll put Colorado with you and then we'll add, I don't know, we could add Utah or you could add like Arizona as Arizona State, but you probably wouldn't want to break them up. Either way, you figure out a way to add two of the current schools to the Central Division and then both have 10. You play your nine different opponents in your division. And then you could do what the Big Ten did last year where they had first place in one division plays first place in the other division, second place, play second place in the final game of the season. I think that would be great. And it would basically be like a bowl game where the Big 12 winner was playing the Pac-12 champion, except that would be now your conference championship, which at that point, it'd be really hard to keep you out of the college football playoff.
4: Yeah, uh, and I would agree with that part. I, I think that one of the challenges too is, you know, the Big Twelve. If you're if you're trying to keep its strength, etc., merging with the Pac-12, if it is a merger, you're automatically booting West Virginia out, right? Because there's there is no way in, in the world that West Virginia is going to fare well in a Pac-12 merger, where when you look at the way that the Pac-12 schedule is set up, you know, a lot of times in order to deal with the the distance that they're traveling, just even North and South, you know, you may have a a weekend trip where you play at Arizona on Saturday and at Arizona state on Monday. So that makes that trip a little bit easier at the same time. That doesn't really do a ton for a West Virginia team that that has to go across the entire country. Mm -hmm. And, And, And that's, you know, that's when we're talking about basketball. Football, I don't think it's quite as big of a deal, but, you know, it starts to get really, really untenable when you look at West Virginia doing that in other sports. And all of a sudden, you know, softball is having to make trips across the country all the time, and baseball for multi-game series, and all of those different things. So I think that's one of the problems with the merger here is, Theoretically, at least, if you're trying to keep the Big Twelve afloat and basically have the Big Twelve have some semblance uh, of itself, going into a straight merger, I think you're you're pretty much looking at West Virginia and saying, "Well, this this isn't going to work for you, so we'll see you later."
0: Well, that's where I think. I mean. If you get creative, you can come up with some Frankenstein here where, like Notre Dame is in the ACC in, what, every sport except for football? Like, what if you just did the opposite of that? You said, hey, we're going to merge together for football. And the idea I came up with, you're only playing the teams that are in basically the current Big 12 now until that final game. That's an option. What about the idea of you know, you just have, they're merged together, but at the same point in time, they're totally separate. It's just like they have a parent company, but at the end of the day, they're only playing one game, uh, cross-divisionally, or so to speak, and it's more so just a brand thing than it is actually about necessarily everybody playing each other.
4: Well, and one of the problems with that, though, Derek, is I think that one of the things that makes the Big 12 even halfway you know, acceptable to the Pac Twelve because obviously the Pac Twelve you've got some monster media markets in there, whether it's San Diego or Los Angeles or whatever else. The one thing that the Big Twelve can offer is the occasional central time, right? You know, you're you're not always playing at a time where where somebody on the East Coast has to stay up till two in the morning to watch you play. And so I think that's one of the problems with it is if the Pac-12 is going to merge with the Big 12, I think that there would be some desire to have, you know, some of those teams from the West come East a little bit and, you know, kind of try their hand at at playing in a different time zone and in a different time slot, you know, maybe in the middle of the day, etc. But I, I think that when you look at, at the things that would be needed to, to make that work, I just – I don't necessarily see a great Big 12, Pac-12 merger. I do see the Pac-12 potentially succeeding in terms of, you know, taking, say, four or so Big 12 teams that they feel like, hey, these guys could help us out. We can get some of that. You know, you would Arizona basketball would benefit from playing Baylor, you know, in the middle of the day, you know, in a conference game, et cetera, different things like that. But I think that for certain programs, in particular in Kansas, may be one of them, there's probably better options out there that you would want to tap into and at least get a no before you wanted to go ahead and go into some sort of merger like that.
0: So do you think it does make sense to, at the very least, just come up with some sort of scheduling alliance to where... We've obviously seen the Big 12 SEC showdown or the Big 12 Big East, whatever they're calling that, that's going on where KU played Villanova and now they're going to play St. John's this season where you have that not just in basketball, but also on the football field. And just from a TV inventory perspective, it's like it's similar to having an extra conference game. Do you think that is the best approach here?
4: Sure. And I think that there's a lot of value in that, Derek. And one of the reasons I think that there is value in that too is I think that fans and alumni enjoy trips to places that they haven't been before or, or trips that, you know, are, are kind of interesting. I mean, if, if Kansas were to say get a home at home with Washington, just throwing a school out there, that's a trip that I would really want to make because I, I think that that would be a lot of fun to go out there and, and sort of see an atmosphere and, and see a school that that I haven't gotten a chance to to see before. You know, I remember and, and yes, Northwestern is just outside of Chicago, but I remember in the mid two thousands when Ku went to Northwestern. You know, that was a trip that a lot of people made. I, I feel like alumni, even with Ku struggling enjoyed the boston college trip because it it was something that that was a little bit different and and added to that you look at it this year you know you have the coastal carolina trip i don't know with coastal carolina you know not being a power five school one and two you know kansas's recent lack of success against coastal carolina i don't know that that's going to be a trip that a, a ton of ku fans make but i do think that if you do have some sort of scheduling thing where, hey, you know, once a year, you're going to have this game against a Pac-12 school. I I think that is something that could succeed.
0: Yeah, sign me up for KU playing at USC or UCLA in the middle of January or December, just for a reason to to get out of the cold and (laughs) (laughs) get out to the beaches. Um,
4: Well, and, and when I covered Texas, you know, Texas played at UCLA, and it was really, really cool to be able to go out there and watch you know Texas play at the Rose Bowl basically in September, and it was a totally different trip than than I think what most of us are used to in September. and that you go out, you spend a couple days on the beach, etc., and then you're watching you know your your team play at the Rose Bowl. I think there are a lot of really intriguing and sort of fun mashups there for the Big Twelve if they do go ahead with something like that.
0: We're talking with Kevin Flaherty of Twenty Four Seven Sports. At the end of the day. Let's say there is the option for that to help grow the revenue a bit of the Big 12. Obviously, Bob Bowlesby yesterday at the Texas Senate hearings said that without Texas and Oklahoma, your TV value pretty much goes down in half from each league member getting about 28 million to 14 million. And who knows how much an extra game against a power opponent and playing a, a cross Pac 12 matchup would add to that. But at the end of the day, do you think it would still behoove Kansas? To find another power conference if they can do so, even despite the Big 12's efforts right now to possibly reload the conference?
4: Yeah, I think so. I think when you look at, say, the ideal situation for the Big 12, you know, if you went out and you attacked media markets and you tried to expand with really good properties, you know, you'd probably be looking at what? Something like Memphis, Cincinnati, Houston, UCF. And obviously there are some challenging, you know, travel things in there. I'm just saying, you know, if you took the schools and sort of set them aside, I think it would probably look something like that. And yet, even with adding those four, getting back up to 12 teams, and I think all of those programs are programs that would fare pretty well on a, on a power five level, especially with their resources and everything else. Even then, you're looking at a situation where Kansas is not going to make in a TV deal that includes those four the type of money that Kansas would make if it went to the Big Ten or the type of money probably that Kansas would make if it went to the ACC. You know, the ACC has a network that right now is in sort of its early stages, and one of the problems with it is. You know, it doesn't much leave, a, leave the ACC footprint. And so if you were to go to the ACC, not only is that a benefit probably for Kansas, you're probably making more money, et cetera, but you also open up that ACC network to potentially branch west and, and offer some benefits for the ACC there. So I do think that, especially from a money standpoint, but also, you know, maybe even from a fit standpoint that there are probably better options for Kansas out there than being in a rebuilt Big 12, even if the Big 12 does go out and land four more schools and does a pretty good job with the with the schools that it lands. I just don't see the money being the same in that scenario.
0: It feels like to me, though, that uh, because there was a comment yesterday from Bob Bowlesby talking about and used, I think, the term in the near term. And when you think about, okay, well, if any other school tries to leave the conference too, like if Kansas hypothetically were to get an offer from the ACC or Big Ten today, they would be in the same situation that Texas and Oklahoma is, which is, hey, if you want to leave right now, you got to pay the buyout too, or you got to wait till 2025. So given that no matter what, as long as one school's in the Big 12, that's enough for them to, I think, sue you given the the grant of rights. I, I could be wrong there, but uh, given all that and given that Expansion would only mean less money per school, even though expansion would probably help you long term. If everybody is only watching out for their own and they're only in this for the next couple of years because they have to be and to gather as much Big Twelve money as they can before they scoot off, then there's probably not going to be expansion, right?
4: Uh, I would. I don't think. I don't see expansion being a real viable person. Uh, a real viable possibility at at this point. I I just, I don't see the schools there. It it would maybe be different, Derek, if, you know, USC were looking to move on and Notre Dame, you know, all of a sudden became enamored with the big 12 or or whatever else. You're not going to match the value of, of what's leaving And even beyond that, I think when you talk about half the money, you know, leaving, especially in terms of TV contracts with Oklahoma and Texas, Think about it this way. So you're holding on to, to a ladder, you know, over a big cliff or, or whatever else. Oklahoma and Texas leave it. It's like you lost one of your hands there. Maybe – are you right-handed, Derek? Yes, I am. All right. So maybe you're still holding on, and you feel like you're still holding on with your right hand. I love the visuals here. This is,
0: this is wonderful radio. You're doing a great job. <laughs> thanks,
4: thanks. You're You're hanging up there with your right hand, and – you know, you can still maybe hold yourself up there for a little while longer because even if your other hand, you can't get it back up to, to where you can grab it, you know, it, you do have your stronger hand, you're sitting there. But if Kansas leaves or if West Virginia leaves or whoever leaves, that's like losing another finger off that hand. And all of a sudden, your situation, which wasn't great in the future. I think if you lost a finger off of there where, you know, you lost your grip a little bit, the rest of it's going to go and you're going to fall. And I think that's, you know, a pretty good analogy for where the Big 12 is at right now, sort of holding on with one hand. And I think that should Kansas leave or or should West Virginia leave or should somebody else leave, uh, I think you're looking at at that being the collapse where everybody else says, well, got to get out. And so right now your grip is pretty tentative. But at the same time, I, I don't see a situation where, say, Kansas tries to leave to the Big Ten. The rest of the league says, hey, we're going to stay together and get $80 million out of KU. I, I just don't see that being the case. I think that the next domino to fall is probably the one that, uh, that changes everything.
0: Is there anything we can learn from what happened about 10 years ago or how long it took with Texas and Oklahoma in talking with the SEC about Possible timeline here, or do you think it's just something that we might not know about till 2025?
4: I don't think it'll take till 2025, but it's tough to put a timeline on it because there are so many different things that can either accelerate or decelerate that process. And I know this is kind of off topic, but kind of on, Derek. Joe Castiglione deserves executive of the year, does he not? You know, because not only did he sort of shepherd. Oklahoma into, you know, the SEC. But one, nobody found out about it. And two, once everybody found out about it, everybody took pot shots at Texas. Nobody's mad at Oklahoma. Nobody is out there, you know, saying, well, gosh, the Sooners really cost us this opportunity. Whereas you have, you know, Texas as president is going in front of the state legislature and is getting dunked on by TCU grads. (laughs) And and yet, you know, Castiglione doesn't have anything like that going. I mean, he, it was, it was a pretty impressive thing for for him to pull off, but yeah, it's, I, I feel really hesitant to lay any sort of timetable out on this just because it's one of those things where if the right people say yes, your process could be really, really quick. And If the wrong people say no, it could be the sort of thing that stretches out for quite a while until a conference sees a need to add somebody. And so it's really tough to say, hey, this is going to happen by the end of the week or, hey, this is going to happen in two or three years and that we just don't know all the variables yet.
0: He is Kevin Flaherty. You can check out all his work at 24-7 Sports. Kevin, thank you so much for the time and uh, talk to you again next week. Thanks a lot, Derek. All right, that was Kevin Flaherty joining us here on Rock Talk Sports Talk. FM 1017, 1320 KLWN with Richie Boswell. I'm Derek Johnson. Depend on it.